doing some lessons here in our class, kind of unconnected lessons other than uh, the only way I'm selecting them is to uh, call it the alphabet series. So I'm going through the alphabet and uh, doing a lesson on, on different things. We, uh, we did family, we did gambling, uh, which was interesting. Uh, don't always talk about that so much. So we're to H in the, in the uh, alphabet. And as much as sometimes we don't like to talk about this or to deal with it, we, we must, of course, and that's homosexuality. I'm going to talk about it today because an adult class is a good place to talk about that, but also because it is so prevalent right now and the challenges of it in our society are growing, uh, seems like daily, uh, all the time. You know that uh, this year, as we went through 2014, of course, our Supreme Court decided to make a law and rule that uh, same-sex marriages must be allowed in all 50 states of the United States. Up to that point, the states could decide that themselves, of course, and either issue those licenses or not. And you remember uh, the controversy over uh, Kim Davis in Kentucky as a, as a clerk uh, as a Christian, just could not herself uh, sign those licenses, and her state laws that she had always lived under said uh, she didn't have to. As a matter of fact, they didn't issue those. But now the federal government steps in and says you must do it. And there was a lot of controversy over that because did our Supreme Court make a law, uh, not just interpret the present laws, and it seems that they did, and they just said, this will be the law, you have to do it. So that created a lot of controversy. And then we have also seen uh, throughout this last year various different occasions where Christian businesses and, and people who have their own business uh, were forced to do things against their Christian conviction. Some larger uh, businesses like Home Depot and uh, others, uh, some charities like uh, Little Sisters of the Poor and various things like that, uh, said that we just can't do this and they're forced to do it. Or, you know, the bakers and the photographers and the weddings, that was significant, I think, because we as a church perform weddings, and there will be pressure coming in various different ways on us about things like this. But you remember, you know, a Christian fellow who has a bakery, uh, it's one thing if you own that bakery, you own a store, and you have things on your shelf, so to speak, anyone can come in and pay you money for it and walk out. That's one thing. But then to say, I want you to cater our wedding, that is to come and participate in it, then Christian people f found themselves saying, no, that means uh, that I am condoning. And I, can't, I can sell you a product, but I can't condone who you are in the process. The same thing happened with photographers. 
at, at weddings too. But of course, what we're also seeing is that it, it's not enough then evidently for the, the uh, homosexual community to say, okay, fine, if that's not what you want to do, there's another photographer down the street or another bakery, I'll just go there and ask them to do it. No, they see it as an opportunity then to uh, put pressure on uh, Christian businesses and shut them down even if they can. As we begin, I, I did an article in July in my Aletheia. Let me read just a, uh, part of the introduction to this uh, if, if, you, if I can, to start this. There are some things about which the Bible speaks clearly, and one of those is the makeup of human beings. It is amazing how far from the plain language of the Bible our society has moved within one generation. In my youth, it was risky enough to refer to homosexuals or lesbians rather than just men and women. We would not even say the word sex in public and terms such as bisexual were strange anomaly. Now we learn that sex only refers to biology, but gender refers to however a person feels about one's identification in this world. In a world, by the way, of anything goes identification. In the, in the 80s, the acronym LGB, which means lesbian, gay, bisexual, became popular in an attempt to lessen the embarrassment of the categories. In the 90s, it became LGBT, adding transgender to the list. And now Q is added, obviously referring to queer or sometimes questioning. And on a website that offered a list of terms now used, the title had LGBTQ+ because it listed over 50 gender identities, any of which a person may claim as one's own and for which one may rightly claim to be slandered. Today, one may claim androgyny, binary, cisgender, pansexual, transgender. There was even a two-spirit gender and, you know, 45 more. In our schools and public places, any offense given to someone who claims one of these could end in accusations, even lawsuits. Is it all important? Well, I think it is, and that it may partly determine how the government looks at the church and sooner than we think. And so uh, come, I'll quote you something else from this in a minute. So uh, there was uh, just a month ago about in New Jersey... A uh, homosexual couple, I think homosexual, not lesbian, uh, came to a church and said, we want you to perform the marriage. And mostly, even in states that now have to allow those marriages, at least exempt the churches from having to do it, just as they have exempted us for our religious conviction in a lot of other ways. But in New Jersey... Uh, the court stepped in, the district court, and forced the church to perform the wedding or lose their tax exemption and status as a church. That's the first time that has happened in our country because they said since the federal government had ruled this way, 
then the federal government has an interest in protecting the rights of these people. So there will be, in the years ahead, many attempts and pushes at the churches and various and businesses. They'll, they'll go after the church last, but they will, they will begin by going after Christians who have businesses. Then they'll go after parachurch organizations, especially those that carry any kind of tax exemption, uh, a religious tax exemption. And uh, the churches have been pretty much shielded, uh, but they will have, it's their uh, purpose to go after that also. It was in 1948 that the Kinsey Institute report first tried to say that 10% of the population was homosexual. That was in 1948. I don't believe that's even true today, uh, but they've tried to say it all along. And uh, it was in 1973 that the American Bar Association uh, called for a repeal of any laws categorizing homosexuality as, as against the law at all, as a crime or whatever. So uh, that was as early as 73. And in 1973, David Horowitz, in an article, wrote, From Berkeley to Cambridge, Lesbian and gay activists busily work to unveil the latest weapon in the intellectual armory of the tenured left. Then he quotes a guy. Queer politics is no longer content to carve out a buffer zone for a minoritized and protected subculture. The task is to confront modern culture with its worst nightmare, a queer planet. I mean, this, this was from... Uh, the magazine, The Village Voice, and this is, their, this is their intent since 1973, by the way. And, uh, he, and then they say, it isn't enough to become parallel to straights. We want to obliterate such dichotomies altogether. So these kind of pressures have been around for a long time. Let me, uh, let me begin by asking you to follow me through some verses in your Bible, okay? And I think what we should do, since we are just simply talking as a Sunday school class here, we'll go first, by the way, back to Genesis uh, 19. Uh, we want to look at what the Bible basically reflects. And, le and so let me preface these, these verses by, by saying, isn't it interesting in our generation how people can interpret the Bible however they want to interpret it. Well, that's, of course, always true. God gave his word, and it's our responsibility to read it and to understand it, but uh, people can use it however they want to use it. And in this subject that we're talking about, it has been used and abused by people all over. Uh, I mean, you can hear otherwise intelligent people from, you know, Bill O'Reilly on down, you know, various commentators, uh, brilliant people in many respects, and then they speak about something like this, and you hit yourself in the forehead and say, Wh where is their thinking? You know, why can't they treat this book as it's written and take it as it is? But just seems we can't. Maybe, maybe people kind of feel like, well, sometime in their life, they read most of the Bible. <laughs> you know, 
if anybody, if the average citizen ever in their life has read through it once, it probably is amazing. But, uh, you know, I read, I read it or I studied it in a class in school or something like that, and then they feel like they know what the Bible says. Well, the fact is that the Bible's pretty straightforward. And even those people who study it in order to come away with a homosexual agenda or to, uh, to okay that kind of a lifestyle uh, really have to do some gymnastics with their hermeneutics to get that out of it. If we started in Genesis 19, it's interesting. Of course, you know, we, I, I skipped over Genesis 1 and 2 where God just makes plain statements about how he created us male and female, right? Maybe I should have started there, but even Jesus quotes that verse later and says, Haven't, don't you know, he, sa he says to the scholars of his day, to the you know, to the leading uh, leaders of the Jewish nation. Don't you know, haven't you ever read that, they, that he which created them in the beginning created them male and female? Don't you know that? And we, the same thing should be said to our generation. But you know, you know the episode that's happening in Genesis 19 is Sodom and Gomorrah. And so here the angel of the Lord appears and... Uh, he, uh, they go down to Sodom where, where um, Lot lives, and while they're there, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 19, Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and seeing them, he rose up to meet them, and the story goes that he invites them to his house. And here's the angel of the Lord who had met with Abraham just before this. But verse 5 of this chapter, 19, says, uh, let me start with verse 4. Before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, uh, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto them, Where are the men which came in uh, to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now, uh, newer, gener newer translations will have that, that we may have sex with them, because that's obviously what this word means. So let me ask you, is, is the whole episode of Sodom and Gomorrah, d does it mean that these people in Sodom were pleasing to God or that they were displeasing to God? What happened to them? What did God do to them? Obviously, this sin that we still call sodomized and so forth, was displeasing to God. And here we have in this episode the first time God reaches out and judges this sin, the, the first time that it's expressed in the Scripture, and it obviously comes under the strict judgment of God. As a matter of fact, both in the New Testament, in 2 Peter 2 and in the book of Jude, where both of those men are preaching about the coming judgment of God in the future, when God will judge this world as a whole, both of them use this example of Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of how God will judge sin when he comes a second time and judges the world. Now, also in Judges, if you, you have to go to your right uh, past Joshua and then Judges 19, there's a similar uh, episode, again, uh, there where uh, 
a Levite comes to the land of Gabeah, and he has a concubine with him. You remember that? And in verse 22, you have a very similar statement at the end of that verse of Judges 20 and verse, uh, or Judges 19, verse 22. It says, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about, beat at the door, spake to the master of the house, the old man saying, bring forth the men that came into thine house that we may know them. Same thing as happened in Sodom. And this sad episode uh, has to do with this man's daughter and that other man's concubine uh, and so forth. So it's a sad passage. But the point being that it's not it's not written into God's word as if it was being approved by God. Obviously, uh, this is, they're called here sons of Belial, sons of the devil, to do something like this. Now, back in the book of Leviticus, to your left if you went that far, under the law. Now we have the law of Moses. And keep this in mind that the law of Moses was dictated by God on, the Mount, uh, on Mount Sinai. This wasn't something that Moses just decided to dream up one night. God dictated his law to Moses. Moses wrote it down under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here are just some examples in Leviticus 18 and verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is abomination. Now, I don't know how you're going to take that otherwise, other than that the sin of homosexuality is an abomination to God. God is saying this. This is God's word, you understand. Chapter 20, verse 13 of Leviticus also if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Pretty, pretty plain. L let me also put this footnote in there. I have heard it uh, uh, referred to, again, by otherwise... Uh, smart people that, oh, so what Christians want to do is put all homosexuals to death. I mean, if we go back and quote this verse or it, these verses from the law, then they just draw this quick conclusion that what we want to do is put them to death. You know, it's always easy to draw those kinds of uh, 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 conclusions and, and say that kind of thing. But again, that's where otherwise smart people have not even taken the time to try to understand what the Mosaic law was, how the Israelites were under the Mosaic law, and that we're not under that law anymore. And for 2,000 years, Christians have lived in various different countries of the world, and we are, we are, we are not pushing and never have pushed a theocracy as Israel lived under. The only ones pushing a theocracy today, of course, uh, is Islam, uh, they want Sharia law, which would enforce their penalties on people, and somehow we open our arms to them, you know. But Christians have never said that, and we understand that this was God's punishment for his nation under his laws when they disobeyed his laws. And why was that? Because these laws taught us all that we are sinners, 
and we deserve the punishment of God. And when this world is all said and done, there will be worse punishment than that coming upon those who don't follow uh, God's standards. But the point is, whether or not we still punish people with the same, the same way or, or have to follow every uh, precept of the law, God doesn't change. If he says that this kind of a sin is a sin, it still is, regardless of how he tells us we should uh, be toward those people today. It's still the same in God's eyes, as we'll see as we move to the New Testament. So uh, Jesus never spoke about it specifically, uh, but in Matthew 10, 15, he did refer to Sodom and Gomorrah, where he says, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Not saying that, oh, by the way, I was wrong when I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. What he's saying is, if you think that judgment was severe, wait till you see the judgment in the end day. And so, in that statement, at least, Jesus is affirming what happened in Sodom as the proper thing and what God did is what I'm saying. Now, Paul, of course, is going to be much more direct. So Romans chapter 1, you know, but let's look at it again, Romans 1. And now consider, by the way, this, that here we move up to the first century, and in the first century... The Christians were not under the law of Moses any longer, but the church now uh, lives all over the world. And we are under the law of Christ, under the, the scriptures themselves, with the Holy Spirit living within us to interpret the scriptures for us. And we, go, we, we live as citizens in various different countries, and we have a foot in both worlds. We do have to be good citizens. We have to as much as we can follow the laws of that land until it transgresses God's law, and then, and then we can't. But up to that point, we try to. And they lived in the first century in the Roman Empire, where homosexuality was very common uh, and practiced all the time. As a matter of fact, I have read, and I don't know for sure because I didn't live back then, that some people say as, as many as 15 out of the first 16 Roman emperors were homosexuals. So it was rampant, it was permitted, it, it was common. And here's Paul writing to the church at Rome. And by the way, in my opinion, he does not say to them, now here's how you're supposed to protest, and here's how you're supposed to, you know, attack people. And here, No, he tells the Christians what they're supposed to do. And it's a good uh, example for us, too. But here in Romans 1, beginning in verse 24, uh, he says three times God is going to give people over to their own sins. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And you can see how in this passage he begins, and he gets more clear as he goes along, that he's speaking about the sin of homosexuality and other 
related type of sins. So they dishonored their own bodies between themselves, verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie, worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. So number one in verse 24, he gave them up, meaning, it, it may mean this, that the Holy Spirit is done with a person like that. I'm going to say later on, of course a homosexual can be saved, but it takes the Holy Spirit convicting you to be saved. And you can sink so low in sin that you don't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and he's not convicting you anymore. And in that case, you're done. God's given up. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. What kind? Even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, the men leaving the natural. Notice the word natural, by the way. Homosexuality is unnatural. It is not natural, of course. But men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men working with men. That which is unseemly. It's not only unnatural, it's unseemly. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. In other words, you contact diseases and you contact God's judgment and all the rest because that is what comes with that sin. And verse 28 even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Isn't that true today? God gave them over unto a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Then he lists from verse 29 to the end of that chapter a lot of sins that go along with that. So uh, Paul's pretty plain there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And verse 9, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. It might, you might have a translation that reads sodomites, even homosexuals there. The old way of expressing it is abusing themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to come back to this point in a minute uh, when I uh, speak of this, but the point being, it's technically, <laughs> there is no such thing as a homosexual. Technically, there are people who practice homosexuality, and that's a huge difference. There's, when we say somebody is an adulterer, we don't mean that he was born that way. We mean that they're practicing the sin of adultery. Somebody's a murderer. They weren't born that way. We're born sinners, of course. But when you begin to practice a certain sin, then you are labeled with that sin. That's the way homosexuality is treated. Otherwise, what you have here is, in other words, in verses 9 and 10, suppose in this list of things, God had put in this list somebody's nationality. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's say, let's say uh, Chinese people. <laughs> let's, 
let's say, you know, Vietnamese people, maybe Argentinians. I don't know. My wife was born there. They cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We, we can't imagine a thing like that in Scripture because God would be saying, if you are born here in this country, or maybe if you're born by the, in this nationality, you can't go to heaven. Well, then a human being has no choice. He's born that way. I can't go to heaven. That's what the homosexuals are trying to insert into this passage. To say, I was born as a homosexual. That's what I am. And then God says, I can't go to heaven. How terrible the Bible is. And in fact, you weren't born that way, and God knows it. And God's saying, if you practice that sin like as if you practice these other sins, unrepentant, without salvation, then you'll die in that sin. Okay. Then, um, I, I won't go back to Rome, or Romans 1. I, I mentioned it on the way. Um, it, it is against nature, is it not? It really is. Now, um, What I want to do then is uh, go through what I, I have six, um, yeah, six things that I think the Bible uh, says and why homosexuality is a sin from these verses, all right? Number one, homosexuality is against nature, that is, how God made us. Was that not clear from Romans chapter 1? When Romans 1 said, they do that which is against nature. In other words, we have an obvious physiology, the way man made, uh, or God made man and woman to reproduce and so forth. That's pretty obvious. It, it is against that natural way that God made us to practice homosexuality or lesbianism and so forth. All right? So it is against nature, contrary to the intention of the creator, one commentary says on that. As a matter of fact, uh, in, in Romans chapter 11, Paul will talk about the olive tree and the natural branches of the olive tree. Remember that? The natural branches can be grafted in again. Same word. The, there are the unnatural branches and the natural branches. And he used, that's, that is, that's how God made them. He made that tree with its own branches. And the same word is used to describe that which is natural or against nature. All right? So I, I think that's, you, you know, to me, as I've joked before, but we human beings have a way of doing things against nature regardless of how God made us. You know, it's just the way it is. I, I told you, you know, guys who wear their pants below their bottom uh, doing something that's against nature, I, you know, your pants are going to fall on the ground. You know, it's not the way God made you to put on a belt, all right? But we do it and walk down the street with one hand on our britches trying to hold, I don't. I should say, we, <laughs> wait a minute, but I've seen it done. <laughs> Some things are just against nature. All right, number two, uh, homosexuality is therefore a learned process. It is a learned process. Since it is against nature and God did not make us that way, if you practice that, you have to learn it. You have to begin to do it. Back in uh, Leviticus uh, 20 again, 
I can turn there real quick. Listen to Leviticus 20 and 23. You shall not walk in the manner of the nation which I cast out before you. In other words, you're going to go in and conquer the land. He's, he's saying this to the Israelites when they're in the desert. You're going to go in and conquer the land. Those nations are sinful nations, and they have a lot of practices that if you're not careful, you'll begin to do what they do. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, you shall inherit their land. I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which separated you from other people. You shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, between unclean fowls and clean. And you shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl, by manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground which I have separated. You shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from all people. And remember that this is the end or the conclusion of the same chapter that in verse 13 said, if a man lie with a man, it's an abomination. And so he's saying, if you go into the land and you begin to, be get, to get worldly, you kind of like this, you will begin to practice these things that the nations practice, and these are abominations to me, and I'll judge you for it. So it is a learned process. And uh, it is, it, according to Rome, in Romans 1, Paul says that they, they started out, you know, worshiping things like this and worked themselves down to the creeping things, uh, things that are totally opposite from what you are. So these sexual sins are sins that are addictive, that grow worse and worse, like a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction, or anything like that, and will bring people down to the most, to, to the basest practices in life. I don't understand, you, you know, but look at the pr proliferation we have in this country of child pornography. I, I, don't, I don't even understand it. I don't see how, but, but how people can get themselves to such a low estate. And let me tell you, they weren't born that way. And they didn't just one day decide to start practicing that sin. It started here and worked down to here and down to here and down to here until basically you can get to such a low estate in your life. You're practicing things like that. That's how homosexuality is pictured in the Bible, both in the law and in the book of Romans. It's a learned, it's a learned process. And God then gives them up, four times we saw it, gives them up, to vile affections, to uh, these sins that they are practicing. All right? Then number three, working toward the end here, the Bible does not speak of homosexuals, only of people who practice homosexuality. And I've made that point from Romans, or from 1 Corinthians 9. So I don't need to make it again. In other words, God, God does not condemn you for the way you were born, other than that we're all born sinners. Not that you were born English or Spanish or Chinese or black or white or red or whatever. 
you're not condemned by God for that. And those who argue that were born that they were born that way, and then the Bible condemns that, are doing a great disservice to the way the Bible is explained to us. Number four, those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. First Corinthians six ten. Now again, I think I've I've made that this clear that we can be forgiven for any sin, right? And when we come to Christ, people who have practiced any sin imaginable have been forgiven by Christ, and their sins are under his blood, and they are forgiven. Not only that, but Christians can fall into sin. And Christians, though born again, have throughout history been able to fall into almost any sin imaginable. But what does a Christian do when they fall into sin? Well, a Christian should and will, because they possess the Holy Spirit, be convicted about that. When they practice, not that they can't practice that sin, but you can't practice it without conviction. You can't practice it without realizing, as the Holy Spirit witnesses to you inside and the Word of God speaks to you, this is wrong. You may go on with it for a while, but even 1 John, some have pointed out, teach that one of two things is going to happen. God's going to bring you to conviction about that sin, or God may take your life. That was a hard teaching in the first century. Uh, as Paul said, you know, for this cause, some are weak and sickly among you, and some sleep, meaning they're dead. Well, so what the Bible is saying is believers cannot stay in those sins. Believers will repent of it and get out of it, deal with it somehow, get help with it, whatever uh, it is. But a person who can live in it, a person who can go on with it, who can practice that sin, are lost people. And that, as Paul points out, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not because they practice that particular sin, but because they're lost. And because they're lost, they practice all kinds of sins with no repentance, no remorse, no conviction from God. All right? Uh, fifthly, a person who practices homosexuality can change if the Holy Spirit is still convicting. Of course they can. Christ died for every person and died for their sin and died so that our sin can be forgiven. And uh, somebody says in, in Romans, you know, chapter 5, my, my sin's too great, God can't forgive it. And Paul answers and says, uh, you know, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. There's no sin that can abound that God's grace isn't bigger than that. So as a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, which we've been talking about, where he, where he says uh, that if a man practices these sins, he'll not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what the next verse says? And such were some of you. <laughs> but you are washed, you're justified, you're sanctified. And so you can practice these sins and be forgiven by God for the sin of that just as any other sin. All right, number six, the Bible cannot be made to fit any other view. Sorry, they try, they work at it. Here are, here are three, one common one, and these are things that I've read 
you know, in the last 20 or 30 years and so forth. One, one kind of uh, uh, reinterpretation is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was simply imposing Jewish thought on a Gentile world and on Gentile Christians, and we don't have to take that uh, for us. Paul, you know, the, these kinds of people also say Paul was imposing his way of thinking on women, saying that, you know, uh, the, the woman's, uh, the head, uh, the man is the head of the woman, and that was just Paul. We don't have to take that as authoritative for us. Well, if you treat the Bible that way if you want, but the fact is in the New Testament and it's inspired of God. So is Paul trying to push his, his uh, Jewish thought on Gentile believers? As a matter of fact, Romans 1, where all of this direct language from Paul comes, is an argument that God created the world this way and we see his handiwork in creation. And then he moves directly to this subject. So it's not just for Jews, it's for everyone. A second one is uh, that Paul was speaking about, only speaking about perverted homosexuality. And here's what they mean by that. If you're born homosexual, then you cannot commit a homosexual sin. But if you're born heterosexual and practice homosexuality, then you're committing sin. Because that's not the way God made you. Strange, isn't it? And a third one is that even for homosexuals, pederasty or child sex and so forth is the thing. So normal homosexuality would be fine with God, but if you practice it perverted or, uh, you know, with animals and things like this, then it's condemned of God. And folks, you just, you can't read the natural reading of these verses that we've read and come to conclusions like that. You really have to twist it and make it say what you want it to say to come up with excuses like that. Let me go back to uh, finish here with this. In my article that I wrote, I, I quoted, actually, I think, Howard, you gave me a, this, and I looked it up and made sure it was, uh, and it came from the Weekly Standard by a man named Jonathan Last, and the title of the article was, you will be assimilated. This was back uh, this last summer. And he concludes his article, summarizes it this way, all of which is a very long way of saying that whatever the Supreme Court rules in the coming weeks, and this was before the decision, but they ruled, of course, as you know, in Ogerfell versus Hodges, the same-sex marriage campaign is far from over. It hasn't even reached the point of consolidating its gains. Rather, it is still in its aggressive expansion phase. Next up on the docket are transgender rights, polyamory, which means if I fall in love with my car, I can marry it if I want to. I can, I can be in love with anything I want to be in love with. Then the, then the push to bring religious organizations, schools, charities, and parachurch groups to heal will intensify. Already, Catholic Charities, that's a title of their, their uh, business, Catholic Charities has been driven out of adoption and foster care in places like Illinois, Massachusetts, the District of Columbia, because that organization won't place children in same-sex households, so they're forced to close. 
Then will come the big fight over breaking churches themselves. And if you think that the same-sex marriage movement will stop short of trying to force churches to perform gay weddings, then you haven't been paying attention. That's the conclusion of this. So what do we do, folks? Um, as a church, uh, one thing that has been advised to us, we, were, we did this when we wrote our Constitution because we only wrote it three years ago, and that is to make sure as a church you have in your official documents what you believe about this so that if you were uh, uh, sued or something like that, the courts are going to look at what you said you believe from the beginning. And if that's in your documents, then at least up to now, the court has stood with you. If it's not there, but you just say, well, we haven't put it there, but this is what we believe, then you could you open yourselves up to problems. So you have to be sure your, your Constitution says you believe homosexuality is a sin and you can't practice it or condone it in any way. A second thing, by the way, is building use uh, regulations. We don't have a building yet, but when we do, we need to make sure that in the, our building use guidelines attached to our Constitution says this building can only be used for purposes that agree with our belief statement. Because what's happening too is they'll come in and say, I want to use your building. And you'll say, no, you can't, you know, can't. Well, why not? And then you don't have any statement of, of belief about that and so forth. So building use guidelines are very important also in, in this and will be, uh, will be in the future. And the other thing is, will we lose our tax exemption over this? Pro if it ever comes to that, and in our lifetime, and if the Lord tarries, Church, the, what they're going to attack is zoning laws and tax exemption. Zoning laws meaning they could zone us out of business and we never could build a building or churches have anything like that. Uh, so, so they could do that. The other thing is to pull your tax exemption. So if they threaten us as a church and say, uh, if you don't perform this marriage, we're going to shut you down. What they really mean is you can't be a... Uh, a non-profit, uh, not-for-profit organization in your state, or a 501c3 if you happen to be that. Well, what if they did that? The, the effect would be that you can't deduct your gifts to this church on your tax. We could meet wherever we want to meet and practice what we want to practice. They can't keep you from meeting and doing what you want to do. What they're really saying is, we're not going to approve you as a church anymore, which to our government means you're a tax-exempt nonprofit organization. And there have been people, by the way, who have argued throughout our generation, we were wrong in the first place to even do that because the government is basically sanctioning us. They are supporting us by letting us not have to pay tax. But the counter to that is simply, no, it's been a benefit. It's been a benefit to churches throughout the nation's history, and that's fine, and it ought to be. And if it's a benefit to us, good. We're glad that we don't have to pay tax. And by the way, as I say that, let me say, if they ever get around to that, you and I are small potatoes because they'll have to deal with the Roman Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, 
and some pretty big guys on the block who get tax exempt benefits before they ever get down to little old Baptist churches. <laughs> so maybe they can attack us one at a time, and they may do that. So we just walk, we try to be wise as serpents and harmless as, as doves in, in the age in which we live. Uh, the end times are coming. Things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse, and we're going to have to be wiser than we were yesterday, and just the way it, the way it is. But uh, the gates of hell cannot prevail uh, against the church, and we need to understand that. Let's pray and be dismissed. Father, thank you then for uh, reminding us of these things today and uh, sink them deep into our hearts and minds. Help us to understand your word and be confident about it, and help us, Father, in the day in which we live to honor you and to glorify you, to do everything we can to abide by the laws of our country and be good citizens. But help us, Father, to know where we give to Caesar what is his and we give to you what is yours. And bless us in that. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.